It was March of 1965, March 23rd, 1965 to be exact, and astronauts Virgil Gus Grissom and John Young participated in the first Gemini flight, Gemini 3. Holly Brown, which was named after the Broadway musical and was a reference to Grissom's previous Mercury craft, the Liberty Bell. The Liberty Bell sank shortly after splashdown, and it was intended to test the new maneuverable Gemini spacecraft. The mission was considered a success despite a few thruster issues. Space was an, was an attempt to seek to do good. There was also some mishaps in the mission. And throughout the space, there was always some mishaps. But we can still find meaning in a mishap or a failure that something may go wrong, but when things connect to your purpose or perhaps a higher purpose. But yet, when good work is used to do bad things, well, how can you respond? Do you remember to do good work or do you denounce the good work? Or when people behave poorly, situations and in were meant and crafted for good. This is Stephen Thompson and welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson. This is my experience. I'm a creator and cultivator of culture. Today we are going to have a curious conversation that is both controversial and with conviction. I bring my whole self to my podcast, this show, into unknown heroes of history, individuals who triumphed in the face of tremendous injustice. I talk about leadership, and each episode tells the entire story featuring music. Well, this is the holiday season, and tonight we're going to do a little bit of a twist on the Charlie Brown Christmas. Now, I talked about space travel at the beginning because I referenced the year 1965, and in 1965, a Charlie Brown Christmas came on television and it was the first TV special based on the comic strip Peanuts by Charles Schultz. The program came on CBS on December 9th in 1965. Now in this special Charlie Brown is depressed because the onset of a cheerful holiday season and Lucy suggests in order to overcome this depression he directs a neighborhood Christmas play. But despite Charlie Brown's best efforts he is ignored and, in fact, made fun of by his fellow friends. Now, after this happens, Linus stands up and tells Charlie Brown about the true meaning of Christmas. And when Charlie Brown learns the true meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown gets more excited and happy and he cheers up. And the entire Peanuts gang of friends unites to celebrate the Christmas season. Now, during this episode, we hear the famous Charlie Brown Christmas album. Now, the Charlie Brown Christmas album first appeared on the Billboard magazine music sales charts during the week of December 19th, 1987, which was in fact 22 years after the holiday episode showed, and it peaked at number 13 on the Billboard Christmas album sales chart. And in fact, between the Christmas holiday seasons from 1988 to 2003, it peaked as high as number 8 in both 2001 and 2002. And it charted on the Billboard Pop Catalog album during the Christmas holiday season every year from 1991 to 2003, with its peak coming in 19, 2001. 
And then in 2014, it was the 10th best Christmas holiday album in the United States during the sound scan era. So the Charlie Brown Christmas album sold over 4 million copies. In that album, we heard the song Linus and Lucy. This was the instrumental piece played by the Vince Gardalo Trio. And it gained de facto status as the theme song for the entire Peanuts franchise. And you heard that piece in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Now, Linus and Lucy, the brother and sister combination in Charlie Brown. And we hear that show. We hear that song during the show. Now, during the show, at the end, Linus, Charlie Brown's friend who's known for carrying a blanket, walks to the front of the stage. He asks for the lights to dip. He asks for the lights to be put on him, and he begins to tell Charlie Brown what the real meaning of Christmas is. And Linus says this. He quotes Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 2, I mean, verses 8 through 14. And to summarize it, he says, Angels from heaven tell a group of frightened shepherds about the birth of the baby Jesus. And then when he finished, he said, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Now, that part can make people feel uncomfortable. Even in 1965, Charles Schultz took heat for that, the fact that Linus was going to read scripture during a nationally televised cartoon. But let's unpack this a little bit. Now, there are behaviors out there that hurt people. And there are behaviors out there that harm people. Now, we may not come to an agreement on Jesus, but there are and there is a purpose behind the statement that Linus read that I think all of us can agree on. The purpose of needing to help somebody and a need to give to others out of a spirit of gratitude is healthy. Yet we do know that throughout history, Americans have used religion to do good things, but we also know that Americans have used religion to do bad and horrible atrocities. Now, the answer to evil is to identify evil, but yet to fight back against evil and to fight back against evil by doing good. Now, one example of this in history is the institution of slavery. And Americans, in fact, did more than just assume slavery and participate in slavery. They actually argued for it. And in fact, ministers argued for slavery. In fact, Baptist pastor Richard Fuller used the Bible to defend the institution of slavery. Fuller's parents raised him Episcopalian before sending him to Harvard. And he graduated in 1824. He earned a law degree, got married, and became a Baptist. After he practiced law, he led churches in South Carolina and Baltimore. Now, in 1847, Brown University President Francis Whalen published an article called Domestic Slavery Considered as a Scriptural Institution. And Whalen argued that slavery was, in fact, a sin. He did not believe or use the scriptures to advocate for slavery. Now, better yet, let's go back a generation and introduce you to Lemuel Haynes. Now, Lemuel Haynes was a patriot and he was involved in the American Revolutionary War. 
and he was a congregational minister in New England. But what was unique about Lemuel Haynes is that he was the first African-American possibly known to be ordained as a minister in the United States, and he also received an honorary college degree. Haynes was born in West Hartford, Connecticut in July of 1753. His mother was a Scottish immigrant and an indentured servant, and his father was an enslaved African-American who lived and served on the plantation of John Haynes. Lemuel's parents both abandoned him, and he was an unwanted infant, and he was assigned to be an indentured servant slave in a household of Deacon David Rose of Massachusetts until his 21st birthday. He spent his days working on the farm. At nights, he attended plantation schools. And then there was a custom to read sermons on a Saturday night. And one night, Haynes stood up and read a rousing sermon. And they asked him, well, who wrote this? Haynes said that he wrote it himself. And he went on to, to write and proofread and preach more sermons. Now, upon the age when he turned 21, he was freed from his indentured servant and built himself a home, and he joined the local militia. He fought in the Revolutionary War at Lexington and Concord, and he was one of the three African-American men assigned to Ethan Allen's fame, famous Green Mountain Boys. When the war was over, Haynes returned to his farming duties in Massachusetts, and he continued to train in theology. He also studied Latin, and he studied Greek, with two prominent ministers in both of those states. In November of 1780, Haynes was licensed to preach and accepted a call at the Congregational Church of Middleton, the first African-American minister of an all-white congregation. He was married in 1785, and he stayed in Grandview until 1787. He went on to preach in Virginia, not in, not in Virginia, in Vermont, in Rutland, Vermont, and he remained there for the next 31 years. And while he was preaching in Vermont, he gained a reputation for opposition to slavery and depression. His sermons and his essays stressed interracial benevolence, liberty, natural rights, and justice. And they put them in newspapers internationally. In fact, he's one of the first African Americans to be published. He also received a Master's of Arts from Middlebury College in only its second commencement in 1804. And this was only the fourth degree ever given by Middlebury College and the first given to an African-American. Haynes was appointed field secretary of the Vermont Missionary Society as well in 1809. And he served out his final 11 years of life as a congregational minister at a church in South Grandview, New York. In 1833, he passed away at the age of 80. Then in 1967, his home in South Grandview was restored and it's now, at this day, a museum. So when we look at that, when we look at his life, let's go back to this question. So why did Fuller, why didn't he 
accept those teachings, those teachings that Haynes preached. Did he not read his sermons? Because Fuller was beginning to preach in the 1840s. Haynes would have been a predecessor, someone that he should have listened to, someone that he could have studied. But yet he argued for an evil institution using the scriptures. So that leaves us going back to Linus. Linus makes two points from scripture. Do not be afraid, and I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Good news and great joy. The idea of being generous to other people. Now, whether you believe in scripture, whether you don't believe in scripture, let's say you believe in, in a scientific explanation of how life exists or our purpose in life, or our meaning in life. Well, a white paper prepared by the John Templeton Foundation, by the Greater Good Science of UC Berkeley, actually says, in a paper called The Science of Generosity, it says that we actually are wired to be generous. That selfishness is not our true nature. That human generosity could possibly be an evolutionary trait. In fact, people have seen in studies that generosity could be an evolution, that we're not the only species that act in ways that benefit others. The paper found that army ants, bees, and fish are known for cooperative behaviors. They said the sparrow-like pied flycatchers will join in risky mobbing behavior to drive away predators from another. They found that birds will help other birds move away from mobs. They said that vampire bats will share blood with both related and unrelated bats, preventing bats from who've had unsuccessful hunts from starving. So, back to what Linus says. The meaning of Christmas is to bring joy to people. And then he says that, the concept of a Messiah. The Messiah and a Savior means that someone is coming to help you. And if you need someone to help you, that means you are in trouble. So can we agree from both an evolutionary perspective when we see instances of species helping other species that this is a good concept? That if we look around our towns and our cities and our workplaces, that there are people who need help, that there are people who need joy, help and joy. And that is our charge. What role do you play in bringing joy and help this Christmas? Can we all agree that helping people and bringing joy is a good idea? Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. Go out this week and do something good for somebody else. Maximize the miracles in your life and minimize the disasters in your thoughts. Work to solve problems. Mourn with those who mourn, but find joy and spread it. Be generous and be kind. Seek to serve. Thank you.